Hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Fell Pony Podcast. I'm Tom Lloyd, and it's really lovely to have you here again. On today's show, we're talking all things ecology, conservation grazing, and bringing ponies on ready for the outside world. So I would like to introduce today's guest, Nicola Evans, whose helmside ponies graze on the helm outside Kendall. Nicola also sits on the Fell Pony Society's conservation subgroup. I saw you at the sale. I didn't really get to chat because you looked really busy, but um, did you go home with anything? I did, yes. It's almost inevitable, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) No, lots of people to talk to and, yeah, lots of lovely ponies. Um, And the prices were good? They were. Great. About time. Yeah, exactly. So, look, as I said in the introduction, you're involved with conservation grazing in quite a big way. So I'm guessing you've got ponies all over the place. Is that right? Uh, Yes, it can certainly be like that at some times of the year. How many ponies have you got right now? Uh, Having bought one at the weekend, we're up to 21. Ooh, wow. (laughs) So, yes. Yeah, okay. So can you describe your setup? Um, Where do you keep the ponies? How, How does it work? So I'm fortunate to have grazing for Friends of the Lake District just a mile away from home on the helm, Oxnell. So there's seven on there 12 months of the year, which makes a great base. And then I move ponies around different nature reserves, private pieces of land. Um, They might only be there for a month, two months of the year, um, just doing the grazing to manage the habitats there. So yeah different times of the year that could be six ponies something like that and then I've got we've got about 25 acres of land at home so that's kind of the fallback when everything isn't out and then I rent another just over 20 acres north of Kendall um, which again is extra land just taking a load of young stock over there at the weekend so yes they can be here, there, and everywhere, as you say. Yeah, it's quite a big setup. I hadn't realised you got uh, there's so much grazing you had there. So, oh, great! Yes, really it's uh, really grown. I haven't actually added up the area of land, but it'll be quite significant. A big logistical exercise. It's always a logistical, and I'm I'm guessing horses that might not come to you as being good to box won't take them long. You've got to get them all moved around. Yes, no, they very quickly learn to lead, lead, load, catch. They usually go into somewhere with nice fresh grazing, so they're usually keen. All good. Happy ponies. Absolutely. That's what we aim for. So let's go back to the start, Nicola. How did you first get involved with fell ponies? Oh, way back when, I actually did a lot of my early pony club riding on a a fell pony. He wasn't very obliging, to say the least. (laughs) He would do everything for his mother and not for us children. But uh, we went miles with a bicycle. So we'd follow a bicycle everywhere. So we did a lot of that. Persuaded him around a few jumps now and again. Would always win the handy pony, because he could do that. And then I moved, well, I rode all sorts of things. Um, went off to university, did a lot with Exmoor ponies. But having come back to Cumbria for work, wanted to get back into ponies and conservation grazing and didn't really seem appropriate to uh, use the Exmoor like a lot of people do when we had the fell pony that would do just as good a job. So I um, started down the slippery slope of uh, being back addicted to fell ponies. It's, it's escalated from there. 
it quite quickly escalates. It can it can have have a habit of doing that. I know that. So yes. So where so when you decided to get into some fells, um, where did you go? Did you just go? Did you buy a couple? Did you borrow some? How did that start? I uh, acquired three ten month old ponies in the same weekend. Um, just went round a number of the breeders. Starting out, I, I didn't know anybody really, so it was just word of mouth and yeah, a few adverts. So that's. That's quite a thing, taking on three youngsters, isn't it? And because you've not got any, do you have any stables? No, nope. I well at the time I probably had nothing. We had ten acres at home, which already had other horses on it. We have now got a twelve by twenty-four foot field shelter on a small concrete yard. That is it. Every, everything has to live out, you know, unless it's got you know, reason to have box rest, and then. I can just about get two in. They're happier out. They'd rather stand behind a bush in the wind and rain than come indoors. Uh, yeah, I know that as well. So these, so these mm-hmm. three youngsters you got, was the intention to get them for conservation grazing? Yes. So I was fortunate. I had friends in Silverdale. I was working down there as well, conservation grazing with cattle. They wanted more ponies. Well, they wanted more mouths. They didn't want to keep more ponies themselves. So I bought the ponies, they looked after them, and it worked really well for probably a year or so until I was fortunate to get the grazing with friends of the Lake District on the helm. Um, and then three became seven. Um, yeah, it crept up from there, really. <laughs> we gradually lost the proper horses at home, so there was a bit more land there. Um, yeah, quietly. Numbers have increased. So let's get a little bit deeper into the conservation grazing. Um, I don't. I, I've actually. I should have, but I haven't. I've never been to the helm. Um, what sort of what sort of size space is that, and how many ponies do you have there? So the helm is about sixty-five acres. It's a prominent hill in the landscape. On the right on the edge of Kendall, um, I don't even know how big it is. It's not very, not very high, but it just it's prominent in the landscape. Um, it's very well used by the public in, on the edge of town. So it's got everybody walking their dogs. The running club goes up there. There's night orienteering events. It's where you go to fly your kite, do your sledging, anything like that. So yeah, well used. Previously was sheep grazed, and as more and more dogs used it, that just wasn't viable. So Friends of the Lake District, well, they bought it to open it for public access. So we now have seven ponies and seven young cattle on it all year round. In terms of the habitat, it was far better to have larger animals and, yeah, practicality-wise, wealth, stock welfare, it just wasn't sensible to continue with sheep. So let's can we talk about some of the issues and practicalities then um, if you're going to get into conservation grazing because it's not just as simple as turning on some ponies, eating the grass no. and no okay no so, <laughs> if only yeah uh, so um, go on let so where should we start should we start with the problem yeah go on let's start with the problems what yeah what are the problems public access is a big one um, people seem to have this desire to go and feed and pet ponies. For whatever reason, they'd never do it with cattle. 
but they do it with ponies. So it's a balancing act, getting ponies that are friendly. They're not going to bite or kick anybody, but that aren't going to go and pester people for food either. And that can be quite tricky at times. For the ease of management for myself, I want to be able to go and catch and handle that pony. I don't want to have to get it into a big high-sided pen in the cattle crush or have it sedated. So yeah, I want handled ponies that I can manage on my own, but I don't want them to go and harass the public in a group. That's, well, you know yourself, that's when you get problems. Ponies argue amongst each other and uh, people get knocked over. The sites that are available for conservation grazing have normally dropped out of agricultural production for a reason. They can be small, difficult to get to, might well not have a water supply or not a, re a reliable water supply. So finding ways around, around that. The ponies come into their own in terms of access because say I have handled ponies so I can lead them on a head collar, up a narrow path, over boardwalks, footbridges, through rivers, usually. Um, <laughs> these things create, create problems with individual ponies, but on the whole, they're really good and they just take it all in their stride. And, and I guess quite often that'll be quite overgrown. You'll be going somewhere where there's nothing being grazing it, will it? Do, do you have uh, to think can, about can what's be. on there? Yep, it's always a consideration. I've just had ponies for the first time this year in a sort of, well, a, a woodland ride, really. Some of it was woodland as well. There's a lot of yew trees in there. That wasn't something I was overly confident with. And you know, they're very palatable, particularly for cattle and deer. But actually the ponies have done about two and a half weeks, done the grazing job we wanted them to do and they've moved on. You might have cliffs, peat bogs, deep-sided ditches, that sort of thing. Um, normally the ponies are really sensible. They know what these hazards are and they look after themselves, but it's always that risk. You're always at the end of the phone waiting for that call. It's escaped or it's <laughs> kicked somebody or it's, yeah, it's got stuck somewhere. They're few and far between those calls, thankfully. But yeah, you, just, good. you slightly live in fear. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, I know that. So so what are the what are the benefits of the ponies then? Is there, is there a difference between how the sheep and cattle graze? Um, what do the ponies do that's different and, and is a benefit? Yeah, so cattle are often the favoured conservation grazier. And in many ways, the ponies do a similar job. So they're similar weight, similar large feet, which poach the ground, which normally we think of as a, as a bad thing, but actually at a very low stocking rate, a little bit of poaching actually creates niches for seeds to germinate, you know, you know, breaks up the ground so that other species can get established. So the heavier weight of the ponies and the cattle will do that job. They're selective graziers, which, has pros and cons. Ponies, thankfully, will rather take grasses on the whole. So they will usually leave the flowering plants, but they also take quite a lot of browse. They take trees and scrub that they can reach, which is often why grazing is in place on these reserves. Because if you don't graze them, they gradually turn to scrub and turn to woodland. So it's about keeping these grasslands open. And they will break up the dense habitats just by pushing their way through. They'll have favoured areas, favoured routes. So you get that structural variety as well, which is ideal in most situations. Are you involved in any sites which are in a, like a high level stewardship scheme or anything? Um, 
Yeah, so that means you can only graze at certain times of year. Probably most of the places I graze are in some sort of stewardship scheme. Really gives people the incentive to, to organise the grazing that it needs. But I also, I'm an ecologist myself, so I'm also quite happy to help people work out what's appropriate on their sites. Yeah, it depends what species they've got, what they're trying to encourage. But it also comes down to the logistics. Have I got enough ponies to go? Yeah. Are they already busy somewhere else? And actually, if they need autumn grazing, it probably doesn't matter if it's grazed in January, February time. It's that difference between grazing during the growing season, grazing over the winter time. Usually we're looking for a flowering period so that things can flower and set seed without being grazed and then to clear it out through the winter. What's interesting here to me is you're running ponies on lots of different kinds of pasture, lots of different kinds of land. You know, might be limestone somewhere and something else quite different somewhere else. What do they do best on from what, you, what you've seen? I haven't really noticed any massive problems. They just get on with it. I say often they're only there for a couple of months. So it maybe isn't long enough to really pick out those differences. But no, they're quite happy, whether it's a peat bog, dead purple moor grass, um, limestone pavement, woodland, or out on, out on the, you know, on the moorland. They just make do and thrive. We had ponies up on high ground in North Pennines, right through Beast from the East. Um, nobody could get near them for three weeks, but they were absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah. They were lean, but fit and lean. tough you know that I do they are tough <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what I like about so. it at the minute you've got ponies in three or four different places so you've got yes. to be everywhere at once at some point in the day before dark and it's yeah, no use well. getting there just before dark because they'll be hiding around a bush and you'll have walked past them and spent half an hour looking for them or something like that yeah it's not practical I can't do it. It's not practical, you can't do it. And I you know, I know some ponies out on the fell might not get seen for, for months at a time, no, so no. I know that they can look after themselves. They do need check-in, just in case. There's always the just-in-case. Absolutely, yes. So how, how do you work that with ponies all over the place? It depends where they are. I'm very fortunate to have fantastic volunteers that I can find in a lot of places. So there's an absolute star, walks up on the helm at least three days a week and she'll walk all the boundary walls and she'll, you know, she knows next to nothing about livestock, but she's learning and she will make sure everybody's where they should be, standing, breathing. She now goes and inspects them if they're sunbathing through the summer. Yeah. Um, but basically they are where they should be. Nobody's hopping lame. Yeah. Nobody's bleeding to death. Um, but once they go out further afield, um, I'll often have the site managers, if they're on nature reserves, they will check stock and boundaries. Often it's water that needs checking. Depends if you're relying on a small trough or a massive great lake that is not going to fail. Each site's different, but yes, somebody will be keeping a close eye on them. Every couple of days at least. It's probably been going on all the time, but it's, it's become a thing now, hasn't it? People talk about it a lot more now. Yes. I think part of that is probably that um, agricultural livestock have changed. So a lot of the commercial stock just wouldn't thrive on these sites. They need the weight gain off decent forage. And these sites are almost all 
very rough grazing or they weren't grazing say back end of the year when everything stopped growing so really it's it's having a non-commercial animal that can go and thrive in these small sites um, often I'll, I'll just take a couple of ponies it's not worth a commercial farmer's time to have two cattle somewhere like this it's they spend longer checking them and looking at them than they get back in return so yeah it's it's that commercial aspect to it i think what's what's practical and so you uh, to get this straight are not doing that commercially you're essentially getting free grazing i do charge a very small amount really just to cover my diesel yeah yeah i've got to travel to get to these places so yeah it's it's minimal but it's great education great diet the young ponies learn a huge amount by by going and also i mean also somewhere like the helm obviously you're you're doing a lot to promote the the breed those ponies are getting seen oh yeah the help the helm in particular um gets a lot of attention even i have a lot of my ridden ponies on the helm um we're seen out out and about in the villages and People stop and ask us where we've come from. You know, we're, we're quite a well-known sort of image when we're out. You know, four or five, maybe more, fell ponies. They look great as a as a group. People ask where we've come from. You say the helm and the oh, the wild ones. It's like, well, yeah, not so wild. <laughs> Here we are trotting through the villages. But yeah, people know about them. And you've done some promotional work up on the helm, haven't you? Yes, we've we've had sort of meet the pony open days with friends of the Lake District, and those have been great. Just taking the time to let people come up and get get close and introduce themselves to the ponies, ask ask questions, give them a brush, whatever they want to do. But yeah, that's been really well received, and of course the publicity that goes with that sort of thing. Also, find a lot of photographers taking pictures up there if we're ever seeing them in competitions or all over social media so yeah it's it's a very accessible location i think cool okay so um so let's let's talk a little bit about your work your background is as an ecologist so um tell me about that how how have we got how did you get to this point yes so my mother's an ecologist as well so i've i've grown up with that out and about enjoying wildlife all the time must be getting on nearly nearly 20 years working in the field and the conservation grazing is really a really neat way of bringing together that interest in wildlife and nature and the horses it fits together really well they're not part of as we say the endemic wildlife of the country but they're like any other agricultural traditional breed they're part of our heritage and part of how how agriculture has developed. There's always that push to move to more commercial livestock, get a, a better return, as there has been with horses to crossbreed and move for more and more performance. But we all know that actually you've got to go back to those old breeds to to get the hardiness and the uh, well the sheer determination of, of the of the fell pony. But yeah, the two are inextricably linked. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yes. Cool. Okay, so let's move on to what you do with the ponies then. So you've got all of these ponies all around the place. Um, why? What's going on? What do you do with them? Because um, they're not just there to look pretty and they're not just there for conservation grazing, are they? No. So, I mean, as any sort of rural business, you, you need an output. Um, 
not an output, a product. Um, we're not producing beef or lamb, we're producing ponies, which in the current market are for riding predominantly. So once, once they're old enough, they've had a basic education in handling, they can trim their feet, they lead and load and say deal with the public and things that life throws at them. They'll come back relatively close to home and we'll start taking them out and about, learning about being riding ponies. I've got a fabulous team of uh, volunteers that come and help me lead ponies out, ride them. Each and every one is different, of course, but uh, they'll get led out with tack, get a feel for how they cope with road drains, wheelie bins, bicycles, cars, you name it. I don't have an arena, I don't have a flat field, nothing. So everything is done on the lanes, which is brilliant in that they have to deal with life. And they do, they love being out and about exploring. They don't get bored like they would going in circles. Although you don't have you know, stables in a yard, do you still have a process that you go through with a new pony when it comes onto your, I'm going to say yard, but when it comes to you? No, not particularly. Each one's different. They go out with the others. They're in small groups, sometimes just a pair. Probably seven or eight is my biggest groups. They go out and they learn from each other. So they'll, they'll watch, just tie to, tie to the gate when we're riding. So they'll come and they'll watch other ponies getting tied up and groomed and ridden. And before long, you find that they're desperate to come with you. Quite often, we start, you know, you take, you take a four or five year old pony out once or twice, just for a little potter down the lane. And the next time you're there, it'll force its way out the gate because it's desperate to come and enjoyed itself so much. Um, it's lovely to see. Not quite so good when you're trying to shut the gate and keep them in, but. They're not trying to escape, they just want to be involved. I, I get that totally. Um, you know, uh, there's nothing worse than seeing ponies just stood at the field gate all day. Oh, no. They want to be out. They, they want to explore the world as much as you and I do. Yeah, Absolutely. So uh, this is the bit that's intriguing me. If you've not got anywhere like secure, like I got a bit of a yard, if you've got a pony that's come to you, let's say it's only been handled a little and it's not being backed, you're just doing that. You're just getting yep. on and doing it. And it might take off and it might not. All it of those might, things. but they never have done. They love work, they stick with their friends. You learn how to keep them relaxed and calm. You get a feel for them before you set off down the lane. And you only go so far. You, know? you make sure they're happy at every stage and back off before they're uncomfortable about it. Yeah, but quit while you're ahead. Absolutely, but they, they love doing things. Why should they be frightened? If you haven't given them reason to be frightened, they're not frightened. So they're not running because they've got nowhere to run to. They want to go back to their friends who are with them anyway. You know, as they're gaining confidence, then they'll start to go out in front. They're just, yeah, they love exploring. and That's what we do. Getting ponies used to being going out in the real world, out in the big wide world. Absolutely. Okay, so we're getting to the part of the show that everybody's looking forward to, as always. This is the bit of the show where I call the herd home. So I'm going to um, call my ponies as if I'm calling them down for some hay. Not quite ready yet, but we're getting closer. So I'm going to call mine, and then I'd like you to call your ponies as if you're calling them down to the gate at the hill. Okay? Yeah, good luck. They, they never come. Ah. <laughs> 
Right, here we go. Come on! Come on! Home! Man! Man! If you like what you're hearing, why not come and join the herd at Patreon and help us continue to provide great content for free. As well as podcasts, we've already uploaded over an hour of Felpony films to our Felpony Adventures YouTube channel. So come and join the herd at patreon.com slash felpony. And then I guess sooner or later somebody comes along, wants to buy that pony, and um, what I learned a long, long time ago is if the right person comes along for that pony, you let that pony go. Uh, you don't, Because you might have to wait another five years for the right person to come along for that pony. Absolutely. And some of the ponies stay with me for that five years. Um, that's what's really nice is that I don't have any need to rush them. It takes as long as it takes and they wait for that right person. So, yeah, that's, yeah. I've got an ever-expanding family where across the country where they've gone on to new homes. Um, I met fabulous friends that we're in touch with regularly. It's great, which is why I go to the sale or something. It takes me forever to go nowhere because I know everybody. <laughs> yeah, and it's actually, you know, the, the Felpony community is a real community, real community, you know. And Absolutely. I know people have yes. different views on things and we don't always agree all the time. But actually, everybody at that sale, everybody at whatever meeting, everybody has the best interest yeah. of the pony at heart. We've all got the same addiction at Absolutely. the end of the day. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we haven't found the cure. No, <laughs> please don't. <laughs> So I made a little note, something you said um, just before when we were, we were sort of preparing for this interview. You were talking about your ponies being role models for the youngsters, which is something I really believe in. So as much as I'm teaching them, they're just learning off the older ones. That's kind of what you said a minute ago, isn't it, really, I think, about you know relying on the herd. The herd are as much responsible as, as you or your volunteers or anybody for bringing that pony on. Absolutely, yeah. So I say we'll lead them out, but we'll almost always have a more experienced ridden pony with us. And if that's calm, when the car comes past or whatever happens, why shouldn't the new youngster take you know take that as an example and adopt the same same principles? It it seems to work really well. I'd have to count up, but it must be probably something like 80 or 90 ponies now that we've well maybe not back to all of them but back to a large proportion of those um, and they make lovely confident happy forward going ponies that aren't panicked or worried by things so do ponies come to you or do you go looking for ponies or a bit of both a bit of both there's no no common common thread anymore I get a lot direct from the breeders some of them come straight to me when they've got something suitable sometimes I advertise that I've got space and yeah word of mouth works brilliantly for sales but it works brilliantly for me getting ponies as well so it gives people the confidence that the pony's going to have a good start I'm going to take the time to find that right home for it and an easy sale at the end of the day if they don't want the stress and the hassle of people coming to visit and wasting their time, which happens regularly. So, yeah, it seems to work really well. It was never planned. This is just um, evolved by accident, really. If it's got nice manners and it's sensible, it should be set up for life. The 
few occasions where the homes haven't worked for whatever reason. That pony just comes back to me. I don't want the past about. It doesn't help anybody. Prefix is helm size. Mm-hmm. You have actually had bred a couple of ponies, haven't you? So tell me a little bit yes. about your exploration into breeding. Because you don't keep a stallion, do you? No, no. Um, stallion just, well, it wouldn't get much use, but it just wouldn't fit with having lots of mares and young fillies and lots of public. It just complicates things. So if you haven't got a stallion and you want to breed, how do you go about that? How do you go about finding a stallion? Well, certainly for my first mare, that was quite a problem because I was relatively new to the breed, didn't know very many people then. Left it a little bit late in the year. Start asking around and actually most people won't take visiting mares. So I had, I had two mares actually that I wanted to cover and I had a choice of two stallions in the end one of which was very closely related to one of my mares, so I went for the other one. As luck would have it, he was fabulous and wouldn't have changed it. I often have young colts, just foals or yearlings, but they're gelded as soon as feasible. Um, so no breeding. The first one, I bought a three-year-old mare at the sale, straight off the fell didn't realise at the time that she'd been hot branded and that was about the only handling she'd ever had. So she was understandably uh, rather wary of people. She actually wanted to be with you, but she didn't trust you to actually touch her or catch her. Um, so she just needed some time really. So at four, she was handleable by then, but not ready to back. So, so again, so I'm just intrigued by this because, again, I know how difficult it is. If you're in a field, it doesn't matter how small, with a pony that hasn't been caught or handled, barely. Yep. Is how you how you get that trust. I mean, I, I know it takes a lot of time. Um, yeah. So how do you go about that? Where do you start with that? Well, <laughs> that, that three-year-old mare was um, a great learning point. I tipped her out of the... Well, let her out of the trailer straight onto the helm. I say un unhandled, basically. I got a phone call half past seven the following morning to say she was on the neighbour's field. She'd gone out on 65 acres of land and the other six ponies had pushed her over the fence. I couldn't catch that pony. There was no way to get her back directly between the fields. However, by the time we got the... Uh, key from the from the landowner to open the gate and consider how on earth to try and get back in the trailer. She'd actually jumped back of her own accord over this full height stock. No fence. way, that's that's so lucky. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but I mean she she could have gone anywhere. It's only a short only a short length that actually goes onto another field. The rest of it would have been onto the road or the open common or, I got my own story. I've been there. I know that that's horrible. Okay. Yes, <laughs> but no, they, they do, again, they learn off each other, but mostly they just love attention. And actually, if I put them on the helm, they see so many people, they actually get quietened down and desensitised. I don't have to do anything. Can work the other way. I've had a few become head shy or frightened, but normally it's great. I've got a few more facilities at home now over the years. It's developed a little bit, so... Yeah, I, I can now get ponies indoors, only with slip rails. You know, if they actually want to put up any fight, I've got no chance. But yeah, it just gets you that little bit closer. 
keep it quiet, give them time, don't push things. I bought a yearling colt this spring who I went to see it was running probably 20 to 30 metres away from us, threatened to throw itself over the fell wall. We ran it down through the cattle yards, through the cattle crush, got a head collar on it and straight into the trailer. I let it out. It didn't didn't touch the front ramp of the trailer. <laughs> just cleared it in one. <laughs> Luckily ran the right way and into the open gate. So that was all right. Lead rope trailing. <laughs> but we had a bit of a breakthrough, maybe a week on. And I can't get rid of him now. He's all over me. <laughs> He's really cocky, forcing his way in, in the feed room. Um, you know, he's, he's lovely, but um, it'll actually be a problem now if I want to put him on the helm or somewhere because he'll go and introduce himself to everybody. Well, it's interesting <laughs> that I've just had the vet so, round today, um, microchipping and passports, mm. and I, I don't handle my foals at all, really. I no. let them come up to me. I, let, I, I make sure they smell me on the first day, and after that, I don't go to them. I let them come to me. Because what I've found is if you handle them too much as foals, they just lose all the boundaries and they turn into a nightmare. Everybody's got their own ways, but I, it's going to be hands-on now for three or four weeks with these two young ones. You've had two foals by... Yeah. Were they both by Loonsdale yeah. Beckham? Beckham I used the first time round. The second mare I actually bought already in foal, but her father was Beckham. I've seen Beckham. He's he's got loads of feather, hasn't he? He's a he's a hairy thing. Yep, he's short, short and hairy, but he doesn't necessarily pass that on. The pony I bred has made thirteen hands, but he's very much a leg at each corner. Rides so much bigger than that. Massive character. Yeah, clearly not put me off because the pony I've just bought is also by him. Okay. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> You've got a lot of other things you get up to, don't you? You've got the fellow pony display team. Well, we we like to um, get them out and about as, as part of their education, but yeah, for, for promotion, publicity of, of the breed, and just to enjoy them. Common sense would say I should have two ponies, probably. <laughs> Find a friend to ride with and be done with it. But uh, no. I like working with the young stock, um, so we. Yeah. If you do, if you want to work with youngsters, you have to move them on, really. But that doesn't stop us, as you say, going to camp, going to local shows, display team, taking them on holiday, beach rides, all sorts of things that you do with any other pony. I think um, actually it was at the um, the fell pony camp at Linlestud where I met you actually. Um, uh, and that was the first time we'd ever been to anything like that. Me and my daughter went with, the first time we took a 23 year old pony that we'd only taught to jump about three weeks before actually. And the pony got round and uh, my daughter was in tears actually because it was like the best thing that she'd got round with this pony. Uh, and it's such a good experience getting to things like that, isn't it? Because there's yeah. all different ponies, all different, all well, actually it's Fell and Highland, isn't it? And just an amazing course. I mean, you feel like you're at the badminton horse trials or something like that. Yeah, everyone's so supportive and it doesn't matter if you've clambered over the six inch telegraph pole or done the three foot. You know, brush fence. It's brilliant. And it's, as you say, perfect for inexperienced ponies, be they young and just backed or exploring a new, a new career. Okay. Now, I've taken a lot of, well, probably five-year-old ponies, six-year-old ponies to, to that and other things, and they just thrive on it. They love doing and being busy. 
had a week in Swaledale this year in September. Totally different to riding even around, around the lakes. Very steep scree slopes, lots of mine spoil, a bit hairy at times. Some dismounted routes because there's no way we were riding. But you wouldn't have taken anything other than a fell pony. It just would not have got there. Didn't matter. Didn't matter when there wasn't a track. We'd just go anyway. It is really interesting you say that because um, I, I know I often say to people when I'm out with the, the my pack saddles, sometimes, you know, a highlander do it. You know, the highlands are good. The highlands carry the deer down off yes. the mountains. But apart from the highlands, I don't think there's anything else other than a fell that I'd be going out onto no. those bridleways up in the fells with. No, no. no. It's got to be nimble, clever. Know where its feet are and uh, brave. Uh, yeah, brave, definitely. And, um, you know, once you've got their trust. And trust you. Know, you. Once you've got their trust, yes. they'll do anything you ask. That's it. Got to yeah. follow you. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever get all your lot together at one time? No. No. That would be too scary. <laughs> because, there's some, I mean, there is something just amazing about seeing a large number of ponies together, Oh, isn't yeah. There? Yes. Yeah. I I, I, yeah, I very no, rarely get I, them all together, but I, but I just love it. If there's more than six or seven, all of a sudden, yeah, chaos. Yes, no. The odd, yeah, so I have a group of seven all all the time, but the odd occasion it's been like eight. You think really one more can't make that much difference, but it does. It's the dynamics, isn't it? Because uh, I mean, essentially, especially in a position like yours, when you're bringing in ponies from all different herds essentially you're managing it's like managing a group of primary school kids isn't it you know you've got to work yes. out who works well with who um who's yep. going to fight who's going to bite who's going to kick that's it yeah so the, a lot yep. of your job i guess is managing pony personalities yeah it can be um just working out the little groups that are going to get on well with each other or sort it out quite quickly i love the youngsters for example to have yeah. others of their own sort of age particularly the, the boys yeah. they play rough that's what they do it's better that they do that with each other than try and incorporate you into it having said that my 14 year old gelding will play just as rough with those youngsters so he's often in with the babies because he loves it i presume you've got a boss of the herd mm, i have had the boss for a long time but as she's grown up she's mellowed considerably and actually, whereas I've always had a mare in charge, um, the last couple of years it's been small, young geldings. That's really interesting. Which has been very surprising. I'm not actually sure at the moment who it is. So that's a, that's a small change. gelding with a very big character then? Yes, but not just one. This has been two or three different ones. But just, you know, four or five-year-old ponies. But they've they've tackled some some big dominant much older mares if you get a pony that's been used to living either on its own or with another one or two ponies it doesn't know what to do you put it into that herd situation and it's a bit taken by surprise ah there we go now that's really interesting i had that hadn't even crossed my mind it's a very different situation living in that herd People will often buy a young pony because it's, it's cute and fluffy and cheap. And then it gets to two or three and it's a bit playful and a bit of a handful and well, they're not brave enough to back it. That's what, often when they come to me. And they do really well in herd. It teaches them sort of how to look after themselves, but also to respect others. But some of them have clearly never really had to interpret the body language of other ponies. They soon get it, but 
they get clobbered. They learn the hard way. It's unfortunate, but I guess if people have just had a couple of ponies and they haven't grown up with others, then why would they understand? The same goes for, for dealing with the rough terrain. I've had ponies come off you know, small flat paddocks, even ridden ponies that have clearly never been out of the arena or off tarmac. And you put them on a stony, slippery bridleway and they don't know how to deal with it. A few months living on the helm with steep, steep ground and uh, streams and you know water and all sorts. They see, again, they soon learn, but it's quite telling. Even had ponies you know, take them down the lane from home, and it's it's quite wooded. And they've obviously come from open moorland habitats. They haven't been in that enclosed situation before. And you can sort of see them looking around, not not knowing what to do. <laughs> So we're winding up now, we're down to the last couple of minutes, so I've got three quick questions for you. One word answers if you can. First question is, ride or drive? Oh, definitely riding. Have you ever driven? I have driven, not with fells, but um, I feel very detached, remote. Yeah, but it's great fun. Probably not helped by not knowing the pony well. But, yeah, um, I think you've got to trust the pony when you're yeah, driving, definitely. I yeah, think cool. that's, that's what's lacked. Okay, second question. Um, favourite pony or line in the history of the breed? Oh, no idea. <laughs> I've had 120 ponies. Um, the one I've decided to keep for myself is Henry. He's pretty special. Helmside. So that's Helmside Henry? No, that's just Ooh. plain old Henry. Plain he, old Henry? He doesn't have a prefix. We call him Handsome Henry. Unregistered? But he's no, fine. no, he's registered. Ooh. He's sort of Roddlesworth. Okay. But, um, yeah. Can you find a picture of him? Absolutely. That'd be good. I'd like to see a picture of Henry. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, a third question. Black, brown, bay or grey? Oh, probably bay. But that's Henry for you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I think you might be the first person to say bay, actually. You're going to have to go back. A bit, a bit of colour, anyway. A bit of colour. But, but not grey. Nicola, it's been really interesting, really interesting chatting to you. Um, as ever, I've learnt stuff again today. Really good to catch up as ever, and um, good luck with all the ponies, and I look forward to seeing a picture of Henry real soon. No problem at all. Thanks, Tom. What struck me most about Nicola's story was how much you can actually do with so little. You don't need the big fancy yard with the floodlit arena because the magic happens when you begin to make a relationship with the pony. Thank you so much for joining me and listening to the show. If you liked it, please do me a favour and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you really liked it, do me an even bigger favour and leave a review. It will really help us get the word out. A huge thanks to my patrons who make all this possible. Charlie, Emma, Kate, Chris, Hannah, Alistair, Chris, Caroline, Kate, Jenny, Joe, Easy Horse, Willow, Rath, Mandy, Sue, Katie, Rue, Kalina, Matthew, Sue, Jane, Jess, Heather, Kim, Jennifer, Karen, Ruth, Timothy, Jennifer, Sarah, Helen, Misao, Samantha and Dobby. Thank you so much. I am eternally grateful for your support. So why not come and join the Patreon herd and help us keep this podcast alive? Find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter 
and you'll be able to find more episodes wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. I'm Tom Lloyd, and you're listening to the Fell Pony Podcast. See you next time. <laughs>